We are in Surah Al-Ghafir, Surah Al-Mu'min, Surah number 440, Ayah number 65. A'udhu Billahi Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. هو الحي لا إله إلا هو فادعوه مخلصين له الدين الحمد لله رب العالمين In the previous ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions his creation and his actions. Allah creates, Allah now has provided everything that human being needs in order to live on earth, to sustain himself, and in order to worship Allah. This continuation of this, He is the one who is ever-living, all-living. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the eternally alive. His life is not dependent on the lives of others. He exists by himself, with himself, and through himself. And his life is not to be assumed like ours, that in order for us to live in this world, we need oxygen and we need other things. He doesn't need anything in order to be, in order to exist. And he is independent of any means of life. And la ilaha illahu is a natural conclusion of that. So someone who is eternal will be the only one who is worthy of worship because everything else will disappear, will fade away, uh, will pass, and we do not worship anything that leaves and disappears. La ilaha illahu. There is no ilah, there is no one worthy of worship. There is no God besides He. فَدْعُوهُ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ So then call upon Him, as was the previous ayat spoke about dua, that uh, dua is the essence of ibadah. So here Allah is saying again that you must call him, you must supplicate, you must petition him, and you must turn towards him, mukhlisina luhuddin, with purity and sincerity. For him alone is the religion. Religion belongs only to him, meaning that since he is the eternal and there is no one else worthy of worship except him, he is the one who gets to decide how he is to be worshipped. The worshipper has no role in identifying how to worship. That would be speculation. You worship the way that you are one who is whom you are worshipping, 
tells you to do so. And that is the meaning of guidance to the Prophet wasallam. That guidance is in terms of how to worship Allah. So this is not something that is secular or mundane. You can rule and govern uh, through uh, you call it trial and error. And if you do, you'll make a mess of it. Right? As we see now, the, 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 the walls of democracy uh, seem to have holes in it all over the place. And the walls of humanitarian justice and liberal rights and freedom hmm, is kind of plagued with so many you know, forms of fungi all over it. Hmm. So that, that is trial and error within the dunya. So the way you govern and the way you administrate and the way you, you uh, determine the outcome of human beings, that's one thing. But the way you worship Allah and God and the one, that, the one whom you love, that's a different thing. So worship there becomes absolutely, totally subjective. And the Prophet was looking for a way to worship Allah. He knew Allah. Allah existed. He is alone. Uh, he was a member of the monotheistic, monotheistic class of people. He was a muwahid. But what he didn't know was to worship, how to worship Allah uh, exactly, precisely, accurately, and so on. So that is guidance for the Nabi. Guidance for the Nabi doesn't come in the form of giving him humanitarian values because he is the best human being to begin with before prophethood. He was already the best citizen on the planet before prophethood came to him. So that is not guidance. Then Wahi refines that and takes it to another level. What Wahi gives a Nabi is La ilaha illahu fadu'uhu call him this way, make dua to him this way, worship him this way, this how you supplicate, this how you petition, this how you now plead your case in front of your maker, and these are the rituals that you have to go through, these are the prerequisites to your rituals, all of this guidance as to how Allah wants you to worship him has to come through a higher source than the human intellect. The human intellect is not capable of knowing how the higher being, supreme being, Allah, wants you to worship him. That has to come through a means of communication from him to you, known as wahi. That only comes to a nabi, a prophet, who is ordained and who is appointed to do this uh, for Allah's sake. So this mukhlasina, lahuddin, purely... And religion belongs to him alone, meaning that the, the, the foundations of deen and the pillars of deen, they are all given to a nabi. The nabi does not intuit. Okay? He, he doesn't use his imagination and he doesn't use his humbleness and he doesn't use any other means in order to determine how to worship Allah, and that's how you get the five pillars, and all the prophets before the Prophet received their knowledge of how to worship Allah from Allah directly, and that is why since he is one, 
the foundations and the pillars of deen are also the same from Adam, Nuh, Ibrahim, Musa, Isa, until the Prophet they're the same. Okay, they had the shahadatain, all of them. They had salat, they had zakat, they had salm and hajj. Uh, they all went to visit the Kaaba. And after Ibrahim, السلام, some of the rituals of hajj came, which were perfected by the Prophet ﷺ. But the five pillars were historically common to all prophets and to their people. Uh, and that is how the Islam is now uh, universal, time-wise also. Not just geographically, but also chronologically. Islam has always been consistent the same. Why? Because the one who reveals to prophets how to worship him will not change the code of worship. That, oh Musa, you worship me this way. Oh Ibrahim, you worship me this way. Oh Isa, you worship me this way. No, that didn't happen. They all worshipped Allah through the common means of the five pillars. That's very common and you must understand and appreciate this. That Allah is the one who revealed to them how he wants them to worship him. Not the other way around. Uh, that I want to worship God the way I want to. And that's the problem with subjective religion. Mm, subjective religion is that I have my own individual experience, therefore it must be good. You say you can't objectify that. There's no value to that. That is your subjective experience. How do you say that this is the religion of all of mankind? Then you need a value that is universal. So all of these five pillars are universal in that sense, that they all came from Allah, the one who is the eternal, the one who is ever-living because he is there before time, he is there during time, he is there after time. And that's how you connect the beginning of the ayah to this uh, principle of Lahuddin. Allah is the one. Uh, he is a contextual and he doesn't need to change according to time. He creates time and he changes time. And that is the way that we see this ayah unfolding. And therefore, naturally, the conclusion will be Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. All praise due to Allah, the Lord of the worlds, that He creates all the worlds in every world. There are, there are laws and rules of governance, of administration, of cause and effect. This world has this cause and effect, and another world will have another cause and effect, and the other world will have another cause and effect. So that those rules are identified and uh, predetermined by Allah Himself. So He's the Rabb of all the worlds that he creates. And when he does so, he does so with uh, immaculate beauty and very, very precise accuracy. And you can only sit there and marvel and say, Alhamdulillah, all praise due to Allah. That is how you connect yourself to the divine and this is how you worship Allah. That's the Qur'an's emphasis on seeing the beauty and the glory and the majesty of Allah together, all in one. And that's how you worship Him. And that's how you appreciate Him. Islam is about appreciation of the divine, not about complaint. Nowadays, through human rights and everything else, all people do is complain. 
They complain about human beings and they complain about God. They're just whiners. Whereas the Quranic principle of Alhamdulillah, all praise is due to Allah, meaning that you see everything with an eye of praise, with an eye of gratitude and uh, appreciation. You see this as something that is worth now um, appreciating. Alhamdulillah, all praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. هو الذي خلقكم من تراب ثم من نطفة ثم من علقة ثم يخرجكم طفلا ثم لتبلغوا أشدكم ثم لتكونوا شيوخا Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I'm going to introduce you to an order since I am the Lord of all the worlds that I create I'm going to introduce you to the world of the mother's womb which is a world the world of the raham, the womb. So Allah is now going to, he's going to take you that there is cause and effect and there's a procedure, there's an order in that world and I'm introducing you to that order. The Lord of all the worlds, including the world of the mother's womb. So no one has access to that except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. But in order to do that, he has to bring something before the mother's womb, which is the difference between science and religion. What is that? He is the one that created you from dust, from dirt, from soil, from the earth. That is religion. The rest, what happens in the mother's womb, you can say that's science. Oh. So that you don't get higher then you already are. You don't assume that you know everything because of science and gadgets and instruments and microscopes and x-rays and, you know, what you call the, the ultrasound and everything else that goes on in the medical world, that you have all prenatal testing and you know everything about the baby, the fetus, and you know everything about embryology and the uterus and all of that. So Allah says, you know that, but what about خَلَقَكُمْ مِنْ تُرَابِ Do you know that? Uh, so then Islam says that, never mind science, this is about Allah creating. And it's not about science. The Quran is not a book of science. Uh, scientific facts may be there, uh, as, as uh, what do you call it, by the way. Um, but the purpose of the Quran is guidance and to link the creation with the creator. So the ayah begins with, he is the one who has created you, meaning he is your khaliq, he is your creator. Now he's going to tell you the procedure by which and the order by which he creates. Okay. Um, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates min turab from the dust which is Adam al-Islam, and that is mentioned in a hadith, and so on. Thumma min nutufa, and then he goes now into the womb that after Adam and Hawa were sent down to earth, there was another process by which human beings will come into the world. So this is the worldly process of procreation. That's procreation, and before that there is creation. 
Yeah. So there's creation from turab, from dust, and there's procreation in the world through the mother's womb. First of all, most of you know this, min nutfa, from the sperm drop, or the sperm, thumma min alaqa, and then from a clot, a hanging clot, thumma yukhrajukum tiflan, and then he brings you out as a small boy, a young boy, and so on. Then, so that you may reach your limit and your term. Yeah. And then so that he develops you further so that you become old. Yeah. So now this is the process of before the mother's womb, Allah created Adam and Hawa. And inside the mother's womb, there was a process and an order. Outside of the mother's womb, there's another process, another order. So every world has its order, every alam has its order, and Allah is the Rabb of that world. He creates the order, and He does not go against the order unless it is a miracle, a mu'jizah. If there's an order, then He will follow that order. That is how Allah works and how Allah governs and so on. And there are some of you who will die before that, meaning some of you will not reach your term and your uh, maturity of being 80, 90 plus years. You will die before that. And that's also an order. That's not an exception. That's part of the order. Yeah. So that is how we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being the Rabb of everything, that he, he creates everything and he brings it to its perfection according to his rules and regulations of administration and governance in this world. And so that you may reach the final term, the predetermined term that is in the knowledge of Allah, not in the knowledge of his creation. So only Allah knows what is the final term of a human being in this world. Hmm. So there's a term that expires for you in this world. So that you may now understand. You may understand through this process of order that there's aql there, there's intellect there, and the Quran's emphasis on understanding how Allah governs, how Allah administrates, and how Allah creates that requires a little bit of intelligence, a little bit of thinking, a little bit of recognition, and then eventually appreciation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now our creator, our maker, and he has now defined order uh, for us. Um, yeah, I have skipped an ayah here, so I'll go back to this ayah, uh, ayah number 466. قُلْ إِنِّي نُهِيتُ وَنَعْبُدُ الَّذِينَ تَدْعُونَ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ لَمَّا جَاءَنِي الْبَيِّنَاتِ مِنْ رَبِّي وَمِرْتَ أُسْلِمَ لِرَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ Say, I have been prevented from worshipping anyone besides Allah. So in terms of my ibadah and my worship in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I cannot, I cannot equate anyone, <clears throat> I cannot introduce anyone, I cannot uh, you know, allow anyone else to participate in my ibadah of Allah. There's no shirk there, there's no association there, there's no partnership. 
especially after all the signs from my Lord has, have come upon me. All the evidences of guidance from my Lord has come upon me, the Qur'an, Wahi, and Allah's creation before Wahi came, and everything else. And I have been instructed to now surrender to the Lord of the worlds. Surrendering is Islam. Islam means to surrender. And this is how all the prophets surrendered to the Lord of the worlds. How do you surrender? You follow the guidelines. One is you say that Allah is our creator, and the other is to know this is the way Allah creates. When you know this is the way Allah operates and administrates and governs and creates, then you follow that order. Okay? You don't override it, nor do you seek to override it. You follow that. That's known as submission, that you concede. Okay, this is the way Allah wants it. Oh, so now, that is why the next ayah then, obviously, makes much more sense to us, that he has now created this order of creation. He created you this way, this way, this way, this way. If you try to override it, then you will end up uh, causing uh, harm and inflicting pain and then you will be responsible for, for, responsible for disasters that are man-made in the world. So knowing and understanding how Allah creates, that's one thing. So there you have your empirical sciences and whatever your data tells you. And this is how things are cause and effect, this is how it works. That If you want to boil water, you have to do this. And then when water boils 100 degrees, this is what happens, then you follow that order, which everyone on the whole does. Usually you do follow some scientific facts in life, uh, otherwise you wouldn't have a life. Uh, yeah, so that's the order. You don't seek to override it. Now that microscopically, everyone does it, meaning subconsciously. But at the macro level, man seeks to subvert Allah's order by saying, I am God. So it's both micro and macro. Oh, this is what this ayah means. I have been ordered, again the word amara, an amar, an order, I have been ordered to submit to the Lord of the worlds. All the worlds, not just this world, all the worlds, the world that came before us and the world that comes afterwards. And uh, all of that. So you submit to that, then you will be a good, decent uh, human being. But if you seek to override because you think you can override it, then obviously you you will fall into a lot of distortions and you and uh, corruptions and everything else. And so you have the the uh, what do you call it the um, um, the cocoon, right? Yeah the thing before the caterpillar. And then after the cocoon you have, what do you call it, the caterpillar. After the caterpillar you have the butterfly. So now if somebody says, that there's a poor little caterpillar, it needs wings, let me put the wings on and make it into a butterfly. Why does it need to suffer? Or you try to do this engineering through GMOs and you disturb nature. And you say, let's inject everything with hormones. Uh, this chicken here is not enough for one person, for one family to feed. Let's inject hormones and let's have them bigger and much, much more quantity, much more volume. And then you disturb nature, you distort nature. Then the process is very simple. 
you have to submit to that process. In the name of capitalism, you can't override that process because of supply and demand. You can't do that. That's not Islam. Okay? So in a Muslim state, at the macro level, uh, you're going to have to go back to the old days, and organic, uh, which is pure, which we talk about. We talked about that this last week. Mm. Yeah, so that comes with the price of following Allah's order. Well, so Allah creates this way in the mother's room. If you seek to subvert that and mess with that system, you're going to have to do something which is very inhuman and so on. So that, that's where the ethics come in, bioethics or legal ethics or political ethics or ethics in education. And so education has an order. The education is not just that you know facts. Education comes with training and schooling, which means that your personality also has to develop as your knowledge develops. They go hand in hand. That's the order. It doesn't come without that order. If you separate the two, that ethics are not part of your education, then you get what you get today. Everybody's immoral, but they are PhDs with their names and all the letters of the alphabet also. But they're jerks. They're not human. They don't have a family life. They don't have any life, basically. Right. So what I'm saying is that umirtu an uslima, I have been ordered to surrender. This surrendering is not purely that you do the five pillars. And Muslims, if they think that they can do the five pillars and that's their salvation, they're wrong. Allah will give salvation, inshallah, no doubt, at the micro level. But at the macro level, for Muslim organizations, institutions, and for Muslim governments, they must submit to Allah's order. And what is that? There's a natural process by which he creates day and night. The seasons, it takes time. It's okay that you don't need to drive human beings towards money and hoarding and all of this uh, good living, feeling and fantasy uh, and enjoyment and pleasure and hedonism. That's not an order. That's chaos. Mm. And you see the effect of that chaos here in this country much more than anywhere else on the planet because nobody follows the order of the COVID. So Allah threw the COVID into the equation and said, okay, uh, how do you handle this? So you don't handle it. So you have 200,000 people dying and perhaps many more. Why? Because you've based your life on hedonism. Okay, you don't want to follow any order. Your only order is fun, enjoyment, pleasure, and money. That's not an order. That is chaos. And when you don't separate the two, this is what happens. So we must appreciate that Islam, Islam at the macro level, is much more serious than Islam at the micro level. Islam on the micro level, mashallah, we order, we pray, we give zakat, we go for hajj, and we fast, and all of this, subhanAllah, that's easy. Islam at the intellectual level, ah, then you say, I'm butting heads with God. So the prophets don't butt their heads with God. They, they submit their intellect to Allah. And they say, Allah is my creator, my maker. Now, if this is an order from Allah, literally an order, 
an instruction, then I'll follow that order because it creates order yeah, and not chaos. Okay. Eventually, now against that, you're going to have uh, the, the social order of denial, rejection, refutation, hostility, anger, and then obviously killing that comes with it, and that's the order of the prophets. So the prophets go through that order also, that when they speak the truth about a higher order, where society needs to manage their lives and their government and their morals and ethics this way, then obviously there's going to be resistance because power corrupts people and so on. So uh, an uslima, that I surrender to the Lord of the world. He's the, Lord. He's, the world. He's the Lord of the world. He knows how to create you in the mother's womb. He knows how to create you before the mother's womb. He knows how to take care of you in the grave. He knows how to take care of you on the day of judgment. So even there, in the grave, there's an order. On the day of judgment, there's an order. And he knows how to take care of you in Jannah. In Jannah, there's an order. The only difference is in Jannah. You're not instructed to follow any order. You're just there to live eternally. That's the difference. So now, Islam at this macro level must be appreciated and must be explained to all Muslims throughout the world that, uh, yes, you have the rituals of worship, but then the rituals of worship are guided by the one who creates every order in every world. This is how now you come into this life and then uh, you will then understand how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to operate and then live your lives this way. We go now to ayah number 68. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He is the one who gives life and who gives death. He gives life and he gives death. So life before you came into your mother's womb, you were alive because your ruh was there somewhere. And then after you leave this world, you're still alive. But he will cause death upon your body. And that is known as death. And then on the day of judgment, you'll be resurrected with the body and so on. So this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in action. He is the one who gives life and he is the one who gives death. So some species he gives life to after death and some species he doesn't resurrect after death. That is his order. فَإِذَا قَضَى أَمْرًا فَإِنَّمَا يَقُولُ لَهُ كُنْ فَيَقُولُ That when he has now decided an affair, when he decides an order, <coughs> then it is simply that he says to it, be, and then it becomes. Yeah. So when he decides that this is going to happen, then everybody will follow his order, whether they know what they're doing or whether they don't know what they're doing. This is eternal and so on. So the eternal order is given and then human beings play out that order in this world even though they don't know what the final outcome is. We don't know what our outcome is going to be so our test is in doing things based on what we know, not on what we don't know. So we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So we calculate uh, what we need to do today based on what we know today. And that is the level of taklif, and that's the level of um, what, what you call obligation we have. We are not obligated to know the future. 
So there's no obligation there. So, uh, can I do this tomorrow? It's up to you whether you want to go this way or that way. Then uh, you work it out on the ground. Is it logical? You work out the pros and cons and, and then so on. Istikhara is the last resort. But the istikhara itself is only an indication that you should go this way. It's not an order from Allah, as I've mentioned before. Istikhara is not that Jibreel comes to you and says, does this. That's your mind telling you this is the direction you should go. Then the decision is yours. Don't blame the Sahara if the decision is wrong. Okay, that's an order, <laughs> meaning that's an adab. Okay, otherwise, you get into trouble. Then you start blaming God. You'll start blaming the du'a that the Sheikh gave you, and then you start blaming the dream, and you start you start blaming the person who interpreted the dream, and you'll say, "I did all of this, and religion doesn't work." Okay, fine. Okay. That's an order. You don't, you don't make istikhara to blame God. You blame yourself if things go wrong. That's an adab. That's our culture. That's our civilizational value. You don't blame someone uh, that you really don't know uh, who that someone is just yet. So Allah, when he commands, when he decrees something, he says to it, be and then it starts to become kun fayakun in the Arabic language fayakun that's in the mudara in the past and future tense in the present and future tense so it becomes over time okay? that the 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 manifestation of that order is uh, manifested over time and in space okay it's not instantaneous so for us it's in time and space for Allah it is eternal and pre-eternal. So that's the difference. His knowledge is absolute and supreme. Our knowledge is limited, restricted, and confined. So we work according to our knowledge, not according to his, because we don't know his knowledge. People assume that God is the one being tested. No, he's not the one being tested. You're the one being tested. So you make the choice. And you stand by it. If it's right, alhamdulillah. And if it's wrong, astaghfirullah. Then you move on. You can't uh, whine about it. You can't be stuck in that. So this happened and this happened. That's not the order of how human beings are. We were like this a nation that believed in Allah, trusted Allah. And then uh, we made decisions. And most of them were right and some of them were wrong. But we never blame God. Okay. We, we never sat down and whined about, oh, this is what happened to me. We didn't feel as if we were victims. Uh, this <laughs> psychology of being a victim, obviously, has a kind of engulfed and suppressed everybody from being creative and taking the initiative. Anyway, more of that later, another time. أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ يُجَادِلُونَ فِي آيَاتِ اللَّهِ أَنَّا يُصَرْخُونَ Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying what I've been trying to say, that this not submitting to the macro order will result in you fighting God, debating with God. So Allah says to the Prophet, do you not see أَلَمْ تَرَ O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, do you not see those who fight in the signs of Allah and argue and debate about the signs of Allah. Yujadilun. They fight and they struggle and they argue and they contest and then they refuse to believe and they deny and they reject and they go all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. 
confusion and chaos in their minds. Intellectual confusion is much worse than any kind of confusion. Because the non-Muslim, the kafir, the one who's in denial is confused. And he's chaotic. He's not decided. He doesn't know which way to go. Iman says there's one way to go and then you believe in Allah. So you're not confused. You're at peace. Allah is my creator, my maker. I'm pleased. Alhamdulillah, I'm content. Let's go forward. That's it. So you're not confused. The confusion comes through denial, through kufr. Kufr is what makes you confused. And the reason why, unfortunately, some Muslims become atheists because they're confused about God and they're confused about Islam. They don't know enough, enough about Allah, they don't know enough about Islam to understand what it is, the beauty and the majesty of Allah and of Islam and the Prophet ﷺ and the Qur'an. So they're always debating, constant state of debating, arguing, contention, arguing, contention. That's all they think of. They only want to just trap God defeat God. Uh, as they say, the person who mentions God the most is the atheist. He's always talking about God. Uh, yeah. Have you seen an atheist not talk about God? Mm. Atheists talk more about God than uh, other people who believe in God do. Mm. People who believe in God just sit there and worship Him. Atheists, they mention God in every sentence. God is like this, God is like this, God is like this. Uh, yeah, so that's the, what you call it, the la'na. Allah, using the Lord's name in vain, they say, right? Um, so there's arguing. So when you don't submit to the macro, uh, meaning that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in charge. He rules, he governs, he decides. Now, you look at all the previous ayat of Allah's creation, that there's a system, there's an order, there's an organization in the day and the night. In the sun, the moon, the stars, in the planet, in everything that Allah creates for you of risk, and how He's put all the props for you on the stage. This order there, He's the one who creates this. The only place where there is no order is in you. That means there's something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with anything else Allah creates. So it's you are confused because you don't know how to use your choice. Anna yusrafun. Then how can they then turn away from Allah's ayat, meaning submit to the reality that Allah is creating you and everything around you, everything inside you, everything outside of you. Once you do that, then you are at peace. But those people who continue to struggle and debate and argue uh, against Allah and the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are those alladheena kaddaboo bil kitabi. Those who deny our signs, and those who reject revelation, and whatever it is we have sent with it, the messengers. Those who deny revelation, the book, and those who deny whatever else we sent the messengers with other than the book. As a footnote, for those who don't believe in hadith, uh, must contend with ayat like this, like this one. Uh, that what is it besides the kitab that Allah sends with the messengers? <laughs> People say that there's no such thing as hadith. Okay, what about this ayah? Those who deny the kitab, okay, so kitab is the Quran maybe, is revelation or the other books, maybe, whatever it is. But then, وَبِمَا أَرْسَلْنَا بِهِ رُسُلًا What is the guidance with which Allah sends messengers? 
something else besides the kitab is sent with the messenger, and that is the total message. That is the sunnah of the Nabi of the time, that he comes with the guidance of knowing how to accept and how to execute Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's guidance. They must appreciate both the sender and the one who is sent, and what is sent, all three of them. Okay, so now the message, they must appreciate the messenger they must appreciate and they must understand the one who sends the message and the messenger. All three uh, come in hand in hand together as one complete package. You cannot say, I believe in God and that's enough. You have to believe in the messenger also. And then you have to believe in the message he brings. Okay, I believe Muhammad is the messenger, but I don't believe this, I don't believe this. <laughs> then you're not believing, you're in a state of denial and rejection. So the true believer will believe the whole package, accept the whole package, and take the whole package. For so for Ya'lamun, indeed, surely they will see the truth. And unfortunately, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warns people who deny the message, the messenger and the one sending the messenger, إِذِلْ أَغْلَالُ فِي uh, when there will be chains and yokes around their necks, and there will be chains, and they will be dragged with those chains in the fire, in the burning hot fire. Mm. Yeah, this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is warning people that their confusion, their denial, their rejection will turn into these forms of punishment on the Day of Judgment, after the Day of Judgment, and this is how they will be judged, but they will be judged according to their own rejection. Since their rejection is permanent, it's at the macro level, the punishment will also be permanent at the macro level. Their rejection is not micro, mm, it's macro. Mm. So that's how we deal with shirk and kufr. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this is the state that you are in. It's a permanent state. It's not a temporary state. Now you say, that are you temporarily insane? That's one plea. And then there's a total insanity. That's another plea. Right. So now there's a difference even in law as to what is a temporary state and what is a permanent state. That's in the dunya, in this world. So on the Day of Judgment, when Allah decides that your state of denial is permanent, Okay, you have become it and it has become you, then the punishment also has to be punishment. It has to be permanent because it's the same thing translating into the punishment. Thumma finnar yusjarun. And then uh, they will be now, what do you call it, they will be burning in the fire, yeah, burning as fuel, yusjarun. Oh. All of that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using these people to show other human beings that they cannot go into that state of confusion and denial. Someone who is confused and in a state of denial and rejection uh, has pathological manifestations in this world. So either they become manic depressants, which is also a curse, which is a curse, 
or they become very violent, which is a big occurrence. So in the first case, they become a danger to themselves. In the second case, they become a danger to society, and society deals with both of them. If God forbid, you are suicidal, you are institutionalized. That means society doesn't want to deal with you. You are going to be removed from society, and if you are violent, then you'll be removed from society same way. You'll be isolated, or in some cases executed. Right. So where where the state of denial, rejection, if it leads to uh, this type and this level of facade and corruption and also violence, uh, whether it's against yourself. Or against other people, then society will come in and handle that situation by law, by rules of governance, as a sign of a civilized society. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is using that, meaning expanding that formula that human beings use. Say that if your kufr and your denial and rejection of Allah. Leads you to stopping others from living this way, the way of Tawheed, the way of belief. Then we will have to isolate you. Maybe not in this world, but in the other world. Either way, you will you will be taken care of. You will be isolated so that you're not a menace and trouble to other human beings. ثُمَّ قِيلَ لَهُمْ أَيْنَمَا كُنْتُمْ تُشْرِكُونَ مِنْ دُونِ Then it will be said to them. That how come you were then associating partners with Allah, either in the form of idols, in the form of your own ideologies and your philosophies, or your own passions and whatever motivations you had? قَالُوا ضَلُّ عَنَّا بَلْ لَمْ نَكُنْ نَدْعُو مِنْ قَبْلُ شِيَّةٍ They will say that we we escape we missed it. ضَلُّ عَنَّا that they strayed away from us. They will blame others. For being far away from them, the truth missed us. كذلك بلّم نكون ندعو من قبل شيء. That we were not calling anyone before that. Anything they will deny, even on the day of judgment, they will be in a state of denial and rejection, and then they will be argumentative and they will be fighting, and they will still be doing what they did in the world on the day of judgment. كذلك. يُضِلُّ اللَّهُ الْكَافِرِينَ Thus, Allah does misguide those who are non-believers. This is a cause and effect. When you read this ayah with the understanding of cause and effect, then you don't have a problem with the theology in it. So the theology is that Allah misguides. So human beings by nature and by default almost will say, "How does Allah misguide?" Allah is supposed to be kind, generous, and guiding. And why is He misguiding? Hmm. So it's not that. Allah is kadalika. This, thus, in this way, when they follow the cause and effect in the world, that this thought they allow uh, to nurture, and this thought they allow they, they allow themselves cook. Okay, and it comes to maturity, and then it expands and it blossoms. And they become scoffer. So they caused it themselves. They allowed themselves to think this way and to become this way. So meaning that misguidance is through cause and effect. There's always going to be a cause, a reason why they are misguided. 
So that misguidance is caused by their own inertia, their lethargy, or their rejection, their arrogance, their pride, their considerations, or whatever their desires and passions are. That is what drives them towards accepting kufr. Allah doesn't force kufr down their throats and say, Here, here's kufr, taste it. He doesn't do that. Human beings do it themselves. Meaning human beings have a choice. This is iman and this is kufr. This is acceptance and this is deny. You either accept or you deny based on your volition. You have the volition. You have the capability of saying yes or no, making the choice. Once you make the choice, then that has an effect. If you choose this, this will have a, a rolling effect, a natural effect. And if you choose this, this will have a rolling effect, a natural effect. That's just the way Allah has predetermined creation, that if you drink water, uh, your thirst will be extinguished, and if you drink poison, you'll die. So you can't blame God for uh, creating the cause and effect, eh? you, nor can you blame God for you choosing which one you chose. Mm. That's the meaning of yulillu. Allah misguides through the order of this world. There's a, this, in this world, there's a, he is a Rabbul Alameen, he is the Lord of all the worlds. In this world, uh, there are rules for cause and effect. You follow those rules, and whatever is created is created by those rules. Uh, yeah. Unless it comes through Allah's fadl and becomes a mu'jiza and so on. But that's the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates. So if Abu Talib chose to remain a kafir, then that was his choice. The Prophet did not force him, nor did Allah force him. He said, I don't want to be Muslim. That was his choice. So you can't blame God and you can't blame the Prophet because all the props were there. Okay, you bring the horse to the trough, the horse says, I don't want to drink. What are you going to do? Right? So you blame the horse. You don't blame the trough, you don't blame the water. No, you, do you blame the rider who's bringing the horse to the trough? I brought him, everything's there. This guy is stubborn, he doesn't want to believe, so what are you going to do? So that's the meaning of Allah misguides. Misguiding means that if you choose misguidance, Allah will create the misguidance. That's just equal opportunity creation. If you don't do that, then you'll blame God for not being equal opportunity. <laughs> right? So if I want to kill somebody, if I want to take a gun and shoot somebody, then because I'm a pious man, Allah will say, okay, I won't create death for this person because you're a pious man. It doesn't work that way. And if you're a hooligan and you choose to kill somebody with a gun, Allah will say, yeah, yeah, because you're a hooligan, I'll allow you to kill him. No, that's not equal opportunity. That's not cause and effect. You understand? The playing field has to be equal in Allah's process of creating. The process is equal. You choose this, this will happen. And you choose this, this will happen. No matter who does it. doesn't matter who the agent is. Yeah, and that is how you see Islam in surrendering to Allah's laws and orders, Allah's will. This is how Allah decrees His will. Right, so the human being uh, must understand the sophistication of how Allah creates. As the ayah says, وَلَعَلَّكُمْ تَعْقِلُونَ So that you may understand. It, it requires understanding, which is a process. 
It doesn't dawn upon you once you read the ayah. You have to sit down, think, contemplate, reflect, think again and reflect, think again and reflect. It comes to you maybe after decades of thinking, but you have to think, and that's why you need guidance when you read the Quran. We should have a Quran halaqa, and then let's make our own tafsir. That's misguidance. That's cause and effect. Why? Because you're choosing something which is misguidance in the first place. What's the misguidance? That you're not following the rules of learning. That's the misguidance. What are the rules of learning? You have somebody teach you. It's easier than you thinking there uh, in total. In a still, yeah, obviously, <laughs> everybody's influenced by their environment and by themselves, and by everybody has a context. If you bring that misguided context to the Quran, then the Quran will yield misguidance. So you need an objective standard of a teacher who is objective enough to say that I'm not talking from your context, I'm talking a contextually. So when you study the Quran, study the Quran a contextually, so that you don't fall into the trap of contextualizing the Quran to your needs. Hmm. If you do that, then obviously you'll get terrorists. You get vandals, and they get you hooligans, and you get people who now misunderstand Islam, and you got these people who do everything in the name of religion. What's the first problem? The first problem is saying that I can understand the Quran because I can understand the Quran. That in itself is misguidance. The first cause is the reason for the second cause, which results in violence or in terrorism or in misguidance. So the first rule is that if you want to understand the Quran, Hadith, and Sunnah, first and foremost, you must have a teacher with you for seven years, for ten years, for fifteen years, for thirty years, whatever it is. Then you can say, "Okay, now, Alhamdulillah, I'm beginning to understand the Quran." So this aql that Allah is saying you must use, you must use your aql, your mind, as if you're going to school and college for another field. I can understand my body because it's my body. So I can administer anything I want to, and I can do whatever I want to be with my body. I can eat anything, I can take any pill, I can be my guest. You probably end up in the morgue earlier than you think. So likewise, your religion Islam. Islam is mine. I should be passionate about Islam, and I should know Islam, and I know Islam more than everybody else because it's mine. Isn't it? <laughs> be my guest. Then you'll end up creating terrorists. No? That's the four. first cause, is not having a teacher. There's no aql there. There's no understanding. You must concede to someone higher than you in that field. And it's not just about Islamic studies. It's about any field. So you're very organized, methodic, scientific in every other field except Islamic studies. When it comes to the Quran, let's have a Quran halaqa. And who's conducting the Quran halaqa? Someone who doesn't even know how to pronounce the letters of the Quran properly. Someone who doesn't know basic tajweed. Someone who doesn't know the ABCs of knowledge. And so I think this ayah means this. And this is my context. And I think this is why Quran is beautiful. And then they come across another ayah which contradicts that. And so, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> then there's confusion and chaos. Mm. So this order must be established that you submit to the order.
The Prophet ﷺ learned the Qur'an from Jibreel and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught him the meanings of the Qur'an. Then it's upon us to teach you the explanation of the Qur'an. As mentioned in one of the previous ayah, Whatever other message we gave to the Nabi and the Rasul with the revelation, that is also God-given. Allah teaches the Nabi how to understand and eventually also how to execute. That's an order, and that's how the Sahaba learned the Qur'an from the Prophet and so on. So what I'm saying is that we must appreciate this cause and effect. The meaning of misguiding is not that Allah comes down from, the, uh, from above the arsh and then says, okay, I'm going to force you to go into kufr. Yeah, he's not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't do that. He says that you choose. Now, this ideology is here, and this methodology is here, and this, uh, what you call it, philosophy is here. It's up to, you to, up to you to choose with your discretion, with your understanding, with your training, with your education. And if you don't have those tools, then you seek assistance from someone else. You seek guidance from someone else. That is part of the order. If you don't know how to fix your car, what do you do? Now you just YouTube it. <laughs> you still make a mess of it. And it'll take you 10 hours more than what you would do if you just went to the mechanic and he'll fix it for you in 10 minutes. That's the order. That's cause and effect. So if you don't know something and you're confused about something, then there's always people, meaning human beings, not a gadget, not Google, not YouTube. There's always a human being who can help you. You have to seek out that human being. That's part of the order. That's part of submitting to the order and not being holier than thou. I don't need any human being. I say, you need four human beings to push you in the grave. When you die, you'll need four human beings to lower you into your grave, and then you'll need the same human beings to throw dirt upon you. So you need human beings. You can't say you don't need human beings. You do. So human beings need each other, and we must submit to that, especially in our appropriation of understanding the Qur'an, understanding deen, and understanding all these terms from the Qur'an. What does it mean when Allah says he misguides? So he does not misguide because he is unjust. Uh, he doesn't misguide because he's an oppressor, he's because he's, he's a tyrant. He says that follow this order and you'll get to guidance. You follow this order, you'll get to misguidance. So he creates both the effects of both orders and that is the meaning of being a Rabb, a Lord of the worlds. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us all and give us tawfiq to please him the most, inshallah. Jazakumullah khayyat.